0: Welcome once again to Refresher, the pop culture therapy podcast. I am Chris Levine and I will be your host again this time around. I believe it was Cheap Trick who asked via song the question to thousands of their most devout Japanese fans in the late 1970s, this query. Hello there, ladies and gentlemen. Hello there, ladies and gents. Are you ready to rock? Are you ready or not? Well, at this time, I'm going to temporarily grab that torch, and I'm going to run with it and ask you refresher listeners, are you people ready to rock? I hope so, because that's what's about to happen. Now, hey, first of all, on the last podcast, I promised you that I was going to list some of the songs that Led Zeppelin, shall we say, borrowed from other artists, but then took full credit for writing themselves. <laughs> for the record, don't get mad, I love their versions of these songs. Most of the time, way more than the originals. But here we go, as promised. So let's let's break it down by album. Let's go to their first album, their debut album. Babe, I'm Gonna Leave You. Not written by them, even though it says that it was. It was written by a folk singer named Ann Bredden. She actually won a lawsuit later for that one. You Shook Me was written by Willie Dixon. Dazed and Confused, like we mentioned on the last podcast, was by Jake Holmes. Black Mountainside, the instrumental, is actually a Burt Yanch song called Down by Black Waterside. <laughs> Communication. Uh, Communication Breakdown is very close to Nervous Breakdown by Eddie Cochran, if you're thinking about it. And finally, How Many More Times is comprised of sections that are essentially direct replicas of Howlin' Wolf's How Many More Years, Albert King's The Hunter, and Jeff Beck's Beck's Bolero. Guys, this is just their first album. Second album, Zeppelin 2. Whole lot of Love is completely based off a 1962 Muddy Waters song called You Need Love, written once again by Willie Dixon. He actually eventually won a court case about that one, and now his name is a writing credit on the newer pressings. The Lemon Song is identical to Helen Wolf's Killin' Floor song. Listen also to Moby Dick, the John Bonham drum solo thing. That's original but the little music in between his solos, listen to that and then listen to the song Watch Your Step by Bobby Parker. It's the exact same thing musically going on. And finally, Bring It On Home was borrowed very heavily from another Willie Dixon song, most popularly done by Sonny Boy Williamson called, you guessed it, Bring It On Home. The third album, this will be fun. Listen back to back to these. Listen to Since I've Been Loving You, and then listen to Moby Grape's song, Never. Another one, Bronrar Stomp, is, is clearly a reworking of another Bert Yanch song, The Wagoner's Lad. Also on the third album, the, the kind of final weird track, Hats Off to Roy Harper, it contains direct snippets of Shake em On Down by Bucka White. What about Zeppelin 4? No, no, not the fourth album. Okay, guys, listen and compare the opening of Led Zeppelin's Rock and Roll, and then listen to the start of Little Richard's Keep a Knockin'." Okay, then listen to the intro of Stairway to Heaven and compare it to the intro to a song by the band Spirit called Taurus. A lawsuit happened here too, by the way. Finally, when the Levee Breaks was a blues song originally by Kansas Joe McCoy and Memphis Minnie, but I think they actually gave them credit on this one. How about Physical Graffiti? On the Physical Graffiti record, In My Time of Dying is, is something that was written essentially by blind Willie Johnson in 1927. It's just his version was actually called Jesus, Make Up My Dying Bed. Boogie with Stew is essentially a cover of Richie Vallon's Ooh, My Head song. Down by the Seaside was really, really conveniently written right after Neil Young wrote and released Down by the River. Let's do one more. Let's go to their Presence record. Nobody's fault but mine, again, though directly credited only to Page and Plant, is actually an old blind Willie Johnson song called, you guessed it, it's nobody's fault but mine. Now, this list is probably not comprehensive, but just to emphasize how insane this is imagine me, your friend Chris, releasing a single right now called Hey Jude with the exact music and the majority of the exact same words, and then taking full writing credit and then getting paid. <laughs> Hey Jude, words and music by Chris Levine. How did they pull this off? Okay, done. Are you ready to rock? So many of us are ready to rock. We rock out in our cars. We play air instruments. We scream Baba O'Reilly at the tops of our lungs. What is it about many of us that we we just have to rock sometimes? psychologically. Let me ask, do you? Maybe not. Maybe this is the most foreign thing in the world. But if you do, how does it make you feel? Strong? Motivated? Energetic? Do you feel a kinship with your favorite bands? Why does rock music resonate with so many of us? Let's go. Let's figure this out. One, two, three, and the sight. Cognition Today tells us this. When coupled, fans and musicians experience similar emotional states, which foster bonding through dedicated systems. These dedicated systems are interesting meta networks of neurons that fire in a way that mirrors behavioral, cognitive, and emotional states they are associated with observation, mimicking, synchronizing, and understanding different perspectives. They also foster nurturing and companionship, which is required for bonding. I'll put that in English. In other words, we bond with and often feel a real closeness to our favorite artists. Rock fans are often super dedicated people. And this is partially a reason for that. That's why, for example, as good as a tribute band might be, they may have it all down. It will never replace the real band because we feel kind of a familiarity with the real band. It's like we know them. It's different. But back to the rocking. Why must some of us rock? Rock music does something. It actually releases dopamine a neurotransmitter responsible for mood regulation and emotional behavior. It's also found to help people find motivation and even a hope to face their obstacles. Let's think about it this way. Do you guys remember Jolt Cola? <laughs> In 1985, Jolt Cola emerged onto the pop culture radar with this slogan, all the sugar and twice the caffeine apparently, from what I understand, this company or part of the company or something like that are in the energy drink business now. But back then, I remember that as a kid, you drink a couple of those and and you'd have to be peeled off the ceiling. Rocking, when the rock is good, is similar to this. A good rocker will energize you, albeit with nothing involving sugar or caffeine. I remember driving, for example, from Virginia to California. And when I was in Arizona, so totally close to the California border, I remember changing to harder rocking music. And I just remember like it felt like I got to California faster. I don't remember speeding. I was just driven, literally. That was jolt jolt cola music spraying out of my speakers. Here's another cool aspect to all this. Psychology Today had a great piece called Why Do Young People Listen to Really Old Rock Music? I found this really interesting. So I'm going to share what it says in part, and then we can talk about it. It says, here are four possible reasons. I'm going to read them to you. Number one, more involved parenting. That's a nice thought. It says, today's young people have benefited, for the most part, from greater involvement by parents and step-parents in the rearing of children. In all likelihood, these more involved parents played their music to their kids, so the kids grew up listening to it. Ah, that's happening in my house. Number two, the 60s and 70s are culturally enshrined. The emergence and and acceptance of rock by the majority of Americans, because we remember, for example, rock bands debuted on the Ed Sullivan Show, it it made this a time look back on as culturally important. So kids know that, and it's intriguing to them. How about number three? Number three is a big one. The musicians of the 60s and the 70s and the 80s were truly talented. Uh, This explanation had been mentioned to the writer of this piece that I'm, I'm reading to you by several millennials. They emphasize the quality of the music of these eras and, in fact, that most of these rockers, they wrote their own songs and they played their own instruments. And That's impressive. Then number four, I love this one. It says the baby boomers control the media. If you see a hit movie with the family Often the soundtracks of these movies that have been coming out for the past couple decades are full of classic rock songs from the 1960s, 1970s, and now the 1980s too, as Generation X is right up there too, making these movies. And you know what? I can get behind this author's list. I really can, especially that last one, number four. I have a 13-year-old son. I've shared that with you before. This guy knows more about 1970s AM radio songs than I do, and I was actually alive at the time. Why? The Guardians of the Galaxy. The soundtrack for that movie, it's filled with 1970s AM radio songs. He loves them. He knows so many songs from the 60s, 70s, and 80s that you would think he was there. Kids movies, it blows my mind. They play everything from Thunderstruck by ACDC to Eruption by Van Halen. He heard I Want to Rock by Twisted Sister as a younger kid on Spongebob. (laughs) The the, the cartoon, the regular show. Man, they have a pretty good soundtrack. They introduced him to Toast of the Town off the first Motley Crue record, Working for the Weekend by Loverboy, Mississippi Queen by Mountain, as well as Joe Satriani pieces, David Bowie songs. The soundtrack to the movie The School of Rock with Jack Black introduced him to Cream, The Clash, The Ramones, The Doors, The Who, Pink Floyd, Yes, and The Modern Lovers, just to name a few. He knows the Immigrant Song and the song Iron Man from the Marvel movies. He heard the Beastie Boys song No Sleep Till Brooklyn on a TV show. He was presented with the entire soundtrack to The Wedding Singer of all the 80s hits that were involved. And you know, I can keep going. So this tells me that rocking is multi-generational. But you know what I like these days? Via the internet, you can find deep cuts, obscure bands, music that's new to you, but technically classic music. There's just so much good stuff out there. Don't get me wrong, I like more than a feeling I like Stairway to Heaven and I like Don't Stop Believing. But after a while, I want to hear something else not so predictable on rock radio. Exploring and finding new old music has been so fulfilling and so rewarding. I constantly find myself asking, How did this not get played on the radio? Then I just let it go and accept it as new to me and enjoy it. Then a lot of times I share them with you on our playlists. So do you have a go-to rock when you must rock? I remember riding my bike all over Simi Valley, California as a kid and rocking to Foolin by Def Leppard or the Analog Kid by Rush. Or Less Hard But Still Rock was the KROQ, the K-rock music that I have devoured too. So if I hear any of those eras now, I, I have... An affinity towards them. It's kind of interesting how subjective this is. I was just asked not that long ago by Jeff Winger from the Managing Expectations podcast to, to think about sharing a few thoughts on an upcoming episode of his show about the album Darkness on the Edge of Town by Bruce Springsteen. I told him I would, but it will honestly be a new listen for me. Why? That record simply was not played on the radio where I grew up, when I grew up. The 80s Springsteen was, for sure, but not that. But for him, it's a major part of his growing up, and the affinity lives on today, which makes perfect sense. So we might just then choose our rock, like choosing a wine or a flavor of ice cream. Some we're drawn to more than others, and that's Okay. And some are sentimental. The flavors remind us of something else. They take us back. To close this out, I believe it was the band Cheap Trick who declared via song this statement to thousands of their most devout Japanese fans in the late 1970s. Good night now, ladies and gentlemen. Good night now, ladies and gents. That's the end of the show now it's time to go. Listen, for the record, I just want you to realize I'm selective in what I listen to. Try not to be judgmental, but I am selective. There's music and there are songs and subject matters that I'm really not that interested in for a lot of reasons. But when a good song just connects, something mind-blowing and psychologically stimulating, something happens and I go on the freeway to Rockville. So rock on, gold dust women, and to those about to rock, we salute you. We have once again arrived at the time on Refresher when we present you with a Spotify playlist that this time around, it rocks. Be afraid. We have for you this time around a Refresher podcast communication breakdown The Psychology of Rock playlist. You can find it really easily on Spotify. Just type in Refresher Podcast Dash Communication Breakdown, The Psychology of Rock. I tried really hard to not go super obvious with choices. The criteria only were that the songs must rock. But guys, I'm telling you, big, 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 big warning here. If you do not like hard rock music, if you are not down with things that rock, you will hate this list. This is a lot of what I was listening to in like sixth grade, (laughs) but the songs still mercilessly rock. So if headbanging is something that you've never done nor ever want to do, proceed with caution because this list rocks unapologetically. Seriously, back out now if you can't handle this much rock. You have been warned. Track number one, Let There Be Rock by ACDC. Number two, the iconic rockers otherwise known as Motorhead with the song Rock and Roll. And the lyrics, dude, Lemmy doesn't care if you break up with him because he's more in love with rock and roll than he is with you anyway. That just rocks. Number three, screaming for vengeance. Nobody writes songs like that anymore. Screaming for vengeance by Judas Priest. I can't speak for everyone, but once the initial vocal scream comes in, this song makes me want to take an aluminum bat and destroy a cash register. Song number four, a song with the perfect name to be included on this list. It's by the band Saxon. Saxon, dude. And it's called I've Got to Rock to Stay Alive. Number five, The Trooper by Iron Maiden. I knew a guy who told me that his friend was really, really sad because he went to a Maiden concert and he passed out and he missed when Eddie showed up. (laughs) That is rock on so many levels. Number six, Caught in a Mosh by Anthrax. This song, this one makes me want to pick up a grapefruit and throw it as hard as I can against a metal filing cabinet. Number seven, Loss of Control by Van Halen off their Women and Children first record. Number eight is by the L.A. band, Racer X. The song is called Sacrifice. I saw them at the Troubadour in Hollywood when I was just a little guy. I was a teenager. Number nine, The Pride of Tokyo, Loudness with Black Star Oblivion. Loudness, dude. I warned you, this list rocks. And finally, number 10, Black Sabbath from their volume four record with Knot. That's our new playlist. Again, you can find this playlist really easily on Spotify. Just type in Refresher Podcast-Communication Breakdown, The Psychology of Rock. Hopefully, Led Zeppelin won't sue me for using the song Communication Breakdown as the name of this playlist. Wouldn't that be ironic, especially since that song was derived from an Eddie Cochran song in the first place? Hey, two quick shout outs. A good friend and a friend of the show named Joe Parker has been making playlists of his own for every single one of the show topics so far. It's, it's amazing. He calls them, and this is his title, not mine, the not as cool as Chris playlists And you can find them on Spotify under his name, Joe Parker. I I love his creative musical take on our themes. Go check them out. They're really good. And for the record, Not As Cool As Chris is very debatable. He just mailed me a gift for hitting our 50th episode when it came around. So, yes, very, very cool guy. Check it out. Joe Parker, Not As Cool As Chris playlists. Also, I mentioned it a little bit but I'm gonna bring it up again. Remember our friends at the Managing Expectations podcast, they talk pop culture from an intellectual perspective and it's a really good lesson. It's also really funny, good dry humor. You can find them on Spotify too, as well as most other podcast platforms. That's again, the Managing Expectations podcast. You can tell Jeff and Brian that refresher says hello. Guys, this show simply would not exist without you. If you could all do me a favor, please continue to pass this podcast along to your friends. Also, if you'd like to help keep this podcast stay up and running, if you would like, you can make a small monthly contribution. Just see the support this podcast link under the episode description. It can be as as little as 99 cents a month. If you're so inclined, that would be really helpful and it would be really great. But whether you do or whether you don't, just please feel free to listen to this show, all the episodes, whenever you want, and enjoy it anytime this show is yours. As always, the music that begins and ends this podcast is by the band Dive. The song is called A Day Late, and it was written by Mr. John Villafuerte. But until next time, this is Chris Levine for Refresher the Pop Culture Therapy Podcast. Everyone, please take care and do yourself a favor and remember that there's a big difference between worry and concern. We'll see you next time.